Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Over the past few weeks, in fact, ever since Easter, we've been looking at what it means to be a people of God. We've looked at how being a people of God should empower us and give us an expectation of seeing God's power follow us wherever we go, turning us into a people of power. And then Eve preached a couple of weeks back on being a people of the presence. How the presence of God with us is vital to everything we do. Just as Moses observed, otherwise what makes us different from anyone else in the world. And today we're going to look at another way in which we are called to reflect God's character. Because that's what we're talking about. We are called to be a people of grace. Living under it, working it out and expressing it to others. Do you have any rituals in your life? I do. Eve says, yes, she has a ritual about the way she cleans her teeth, if I read her actions right there. Either that or there's some strange beast trying to inhabit her mouth at the moment. Um, I have rituals. I have rituals about the way I get up in the morning and get dressed, particularly on the days I'm out at work. Because it makes sure that I get out of the house at the right time so that I get to work at the time I want to and uh, I'm on top of the day. I have a Sunday morning ritual. It may surprise some of you that Sunday mornings is one of the mornings I have a bath. In fact, it's probably the only morning I have a bath, because I don't have time the other mornings. But, um, and there's certain things that go round that. It means I trim my beard and uh, shave my neck a bit. It means that if it's got a bit long, I trim my hair. I did it this morning. And uh, once in a while... That is a real test of my grace. Eve's looking puzzled, so I'd better tell you why, hadn't I? When I trim my hair, I use a hair trimmer. It's not surprising, is it? And I go... And then some of the hair's going the other way, so you go... The other way as well. And that's fine. But the bit that I find really tricky... Okay, is getting a straight edge across the back because you can't see it yourself and you know I know barbers are all very clever and they hold three mirrors and you sort of go like this and you can see the back of your head but holding the mirror and trying to do this is not as straightforward as you might think so at that point I usually shout Morena, can you come and trim round the edges 
And the, oh, the other tricky bits are just behind the ears. Because your ears get in the way. You can't see it. And uh, I remember one occasion. She came up and she was going round and getting it all nice and level. And then she said, oh, there's a bit here you've missed. And I said, whoa, you did put the guard back on that gets it the right length, didn't you? And she said, oh. <laughs> For those who don't move in tongues, that means no. <laughs> so there I was on a Sunday morning with a not quite bald strip at the back of my head. Do you know, that was an exercise of my grace. To smile and say, oh well, I suppose I could always do the rest that length. As it happened, she assured me that it didn't show much. (laughs) And in fact, the only one who spotted it, I think, was Paula. And she just happened to be stood the right side of me at the wrong moment. You know how it goes. But we not only receive grace, but we are called to demonstrate it to others as well. Now, grace is one of those words. It's got a number of different meanings. We use it when we talk about dancers and skaters. We talk about them performing gracefully. Sometimes we use it for those who are more clumsy and say that they have all the grace of an elephant. But when the Bible talks about grace, that isn't what is meant. It's not about elegance or refinement in the way we move. In biblical terms, grace is the totally undeserved favour shown by one person to another, often a superior to an inferior. Although I wouldn't want to suggest that about Morena and I. In our case, it's the undeserved favour shown to us, in fact showered upon us, by God. It's a theme that cuts right through the Bible. It starts with his sustaining of a fallen world that he could have just chosen to condemn. But he sustained it undeservedly so that we might continue to live and to breathe and to enjoy it. It continues as we see him give us the most precious of gifts. As John reports, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it but in order that the world might be saved through him. And then it concludes in Revelation as we see our future unfold in the marriage feast, in the new heavens and the new earth. Do we deserve any of that? No. The Bible makes that very clear. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. 
For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What we deserved as a result of our sinful action is death. But instead of that, we are given in Christ life. And not just for now, but for eternity. It's given to us as a free gift. A gift of grace. It's totally undeserved. It's totally down to God's grace towards us. Those of us who went to Sunday school probably learned an acronym at some point. Just to help us remember the truth about grace. God or great riches at Christ's expense. Because that is exactly what it is. Everything we don't deserve at the cost of Christ's death. But those are truths that I'm sure we all knew. But you know, it's one thing to know the truth and quite another to live under it. With that gift of grace, of salvation, that God showers on us, comes a whole host of benefits. The passage in Romans 3 starts to hint at it. It says, we are justified by his grace as a gift. We're justified. When we come before our Father, we can stand before him just as if we had done no wrong. As Christ cried, it is finished. The great transaction was done. All our faults and all our wrongdoing was put onto Jesus, the sinless man. And in return, we took on his righteousness. Our sins are gone. We're blameless in his sight. And we're righteous. And as we recognise that, it's like our shackles are removed. Because we're not dominated any longer by fear or by condemnation. Just like Wesley wrote, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, Fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray, I woke, the chamber filled with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed Lee. We're free. We're no longer bound to sin. It has no dominion over us. And as a consequence of that, we don't have to live under the fear of condemnation. As Paul wrote to the Roman church, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. That's it, isn't it? 
It's one thing to know that we live under the benefit of God's grace. It's another to live it out. And you know, that was the problem that was faced by the Galatian church. Despite knowing everything they did about Christ's death, about how it had set them free from the need to satisfy all the requirements of the law, they kept being encouraged to keep trying. We are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Only faith working through love. As he wrote that to the Galatian church, Paul was incredulous as to why people who'd been set free from the burden of the law would want to voluntarily submit to it again. But they did. And Paul's response here is clear. If you start to accept one part of the law, he picked on circumcision. You are bound by it all. And he said, Christ will be no advantage to you. The question is, knowing that we're free to live under God's grace, do we revert to living under the law? In what areas do we let fear and condemnation dictate? Have we been set free only to put ourselves back in prison? How does it affect our prayer life? Do we pray because we feel we ought to? Or as an expression of a free and loving relationship with our Father? What about our worship? Do we enjoy the freedom to express our worship in a particular way? Or do we worry about what others may think? Do we have the freedom to truly express what we feel? Or are we worried about being labelled as emotional? Not only is the grace of God the source of our salvation, our justification and our freedom, it's the source of our faith and our hope. Acts 18.27 refers to the grace by which we believed. Even our ability to believe in God is a gift given to us by him which is undeserved. In the second letter to the church in Thessalonica, at the end of chapter 2 it says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts 
and establish them in every good work and word. Our hope and our comfort is all a gift of grace. Are we living in the fullness of these benefits? Or are we being like the Galatian church and being tempted to walk back under legalism and limiting their effect? And even if we've understood it and experienced grace, are we expressing it to others? You know, God has shown so much grace towards us but it should overflow in our generosity towards others. As believers, we should be living in grace daily, just as we walk in our relationship with God, and it should be a natural expression of our lives. Rather than being judgmental or harsh, the goodness we've received should flood out of us, seasoning everything we do. Our relationships should be characterised by grace and forgiveness. You know, as you read through scripture, you find that we're encouraged in all sorts of ways. We're encouraged to be established in grace. You'll find that in Hebrews 13.9, where it says, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We're encouraged to grow in grace. You'll find that in 2 Peter 3.18, where it says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. We're called to become strong in it in 2 Timothy 2.1. It says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And in Ephesians 4.29 and Colossians 4.6, we're told to speak with it. In Ephesians, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for the building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And in Colossians, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Are you establishing your life built on those riches of God? Are they growing within you? Is it grace that characterises your talk? You know, the test is in how you speak to those that you often find most difficult. Is it gracious or is it harsh? Do you treat people with a goodness they don't deserve or maintain a hard attitude towards them? You know, there are those who feel it is dangerous to preach grace. They feel it's dangerous to preach grace in church. Why? Well, firstly, because as we realise how much we've been given, we get to a point where we realise that not only have we been forgiven for what we have done, but for everything we will do. 
Because Christ has already died for it. And that can lead to abuse. It can lead us into a frivolous attitude towards sin. Because if my sin in the future has already been paid for, what does it matter? It was this realisation that caused Paul to write that rhetorical question in Romans 6. What then shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Should we go and sin so that Christ's death is even more glorious and God can demonstrate all the more his grace towards us? Paul's answer was clear. He said, by no means. King James Version actually is quite good in this one. It says, God forbid. But I think the best rendition is in uh, J.B. Phillips, where it says, Now what is our response to be? Shall we sin to our heart's content and see how far we can exploit the grace of God? What a ghastly thought. The truth is that while we're not bound by the law, the law was given us to point us towards what is right and what is wrong. And the Holy Spirit in our lives now gives us even more guidance on a minute-by-minute basis. Although we live under the wonderful freedom that grace brings. I don't know about you, But I don't want to be responsible for one more part of the pain and the suffering and agony that Christ suffered on my behalf on the cross that I need to be. With freedom comes the recognition of our responsibility, our part. And that responsibility should make us want to go farther than sheer duty does. Grace should make us want to exceed the demands of the law. And then some say preaching grace is dangerous because it takes away our ability to motivate. It takes away our ability to motivate people in the church to do things that need doing. And do you know what? That's true. That's true if you want to motivate people through fear, through legalism and through demands. But that isn't what we should be seeing in the church anyway. They're not fruits of the Spirit. Or they weren't when I looked at the list. We should be motivating people through grace. It is our love for Christ our response to everything he has done for us that should be what motivates us. Our desire to serve him. To see the building up of his body. Not fear. Not legalism. Not tradition. You know, if we truly love him, we will be committed to the strengthening of his church, to the building up of it, to encouraging and bearing with each other, to spreading the good news that he came to bring. But not through compulsion, 
not through guilt or not through requirement through freedom through freedom from the past through freedom to choose through freedom about worship and about prayer about freedom about how we serve one another about how we encourage one another and how we build one another up in fact freedom to display God's abundant grace to a hurting dying world I just want to ask two questions this morning are we living under grace or under legalism what's motivating you is it compulsion and guilt fear and condemnation or the wonderful riches that Christ purchased on our behalf are we abusing grace you know with freedom comes responsibility the fact that we don't have to do things makes it easy for us to become passive there's no oughts or shoulds it should be a natural expression of our love for Christ no one can tell you you should be at a prayer meeting or you must do this or that it gives us that opportunity to do nothing but in so doing we're abusing the gift that Christ bought for us our prayer life should be motivated by his love our worship by all that he has done for us our service by all that he was and continues to be Amen We hope you enjoyed this podcast Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk 